Let's clap our hands to Jesus. Isn't he a good God? Isn't he a good God? My. Thank you, Pastor Parker. And I, he, he is just so captivating. And ho he holds me spellbound when he talks. And I enjoyed being able to eat lunch with him today. And uh, we talked about Bible. And I got a revelation about beginning at Jerusalem that I, I can just kind of add to. Because uh, I always start in Luke 24, but he gave me a couple more witnesses. And so I thank God for that. And then, of course, uh, I love when he talks about Brother Terry. And, and I hope I didn't talk too much today. Sometimes, you know, I act like I got my wife's dentures in my mouth and I just keep talking. Uh, but I love, I want to pull everything I can out of him when... If, and if it wasn't for Brother Parker, I, I wouldn't be here today. In fact, if it wasn't for Brother Parker, I probably have never would have come to Oregon. So thank you. And uh, the McDonald's love you very much. Shelbyville loves you. And we're looking forward to when you're able to come. We're going get to that, get that on the schedule. And how many have enjoyed Family Camp 2019? Isn't this been great? This has been great. <coughs> I feel like an evangelist again. When I was an evangelist, I wanted to pastor. And now I'm a pastor and I want to evangelize. When we, when we pastored in Illinois, the parsonage was, if you've ever gone through Illinois and I-70, through Vandalia, the parsonage is right there. And it sat on about 17 acres. And uh, I would mow because uh, I enjoyed doing that. But there was a part of the property that we didn't own. And uh, I slowed down because the neighbors had a, a Rottweiler dog out uh, there, and I didn't want to blow grass, not only on the dog, but their property. And I slowed down, and there was a little boy, probably about five years old, just cute as a button, round glasses. And he said, hey, are you the preacher? I said, yeah, I'm the preacher. He said, why are you the preacher? I thought, kid, you don't know how many times I've asked myself that same question. But I am. Hallelujah. And uh, so tonight again, I feel like an evangelist, and I've just enjoyed being with you and uh, the, the worship. I was, I was coming up the mountain and praying, Lord, I don't know how much more, not only that I can give, but I don't know how much more these people are going to be able to pray and worship, but uh, I'm, I'm going to try to put that to the test. But last night when, when these kids were praying, and I was walking on this platform praying. I was 14 when God baptized me with the Holy Ghost. I wasn't raised in a Pentecostal family, although Pentecost runs many generations on mom's side. Uh, I received the Holy Ghost on a Wednesday, and we had our faith conference at Brother Kreider's two days later. And the first preacher I heard that morning was Larry Booker, and the second preacher I heard that night was Johnny King. And, uh, and now... You want to talk about humility, and I'm on the platform preaching when they're sitting out in the congregation listening to me now sometimes, and I just couldn't help but think, only God knows who's sitting in these pews right now in this camp meeting. And I was preaching, I was preaching a camp meeting, uh, and Sister McDonald overheard two preachers kind of dissecting what I was preaching.
you know, it's mind over matter. I don't mind and they don't matter, whatever. <laughs> and uh, they, they were ridiculing me and making fun of me because I put a call out there that, you know, God can put a burden in these young men to be preachers and missionaries and to raise our young ladies to be preacher's wives and soul winners. And those preachers, there's two of them making fun of it or whatever. But that's why their churches don't grow and that's why they don't have revival. And they got the same 20 that they had 50 years ago. But whatever. And, uh, but I'm not going to be ashamed to challenge people when I preach Amen. If God gives them a call and God puts an anointing on them and they're behind their pastor and their pastor sees a gift in them, amen, we ought to pursue the things of God. Come on, this thing's got to go on. This has got to perpetuate to the next generation. It has to. It has to. So who knows what callings and consecrations have, had happened. And I don't know, Elder Parker... You never know, 15, 20 years from now, some of these young men might be preaching revival for us in Shelbyville and give us the greatest revival we've ever seen. Amen. I've enjoyed meeting all the ministers. God bless you. I pray that the Lord sends you great apostolic revival. Amen. And if you can take a little more preaching, Matthew chapter 8. Matthew chapter 8. Everything has just been great and grand and People have been so complimentary. Thank you for being kind to me. It's something that I will not soon forget. Matthew chapter 8. Verse 5, And when Jesus was entered into Capernaum, there came unto him a centurion beseeching him, and saying, Lord, my servant lieth at home, sick of the palsy, grievously tormented. And Jesus saith unto him, I will come and heal him. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I am not worthy that thou shouldest come under my roof, but speak the word only. Everybody say, speak the word only. And my servant shall be healed. For I am a man under authority, having soldiers under me. I say to this man, go, and he goeth. To another, come, and he cometh. And to my servant do this, and he doeth it. When Jesus heard it, he marveled and said to them that followed, Verily I say unto you, I have not found so great faith, no, not all in Israel. The Gospel of Luke chapter 7. Keep turning right and you won't get left. Luke chapter 7. Now when he had ended, verse 1, all his sayings in the audience of the people, he entered into Capernaum, and a certain centurion servant who was dear unto him was sick and ready to die. And when he had heard of Jesus, he sent unto him the elders of the Jews, beseeching him that he would come and heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they besought him instantly, saying that he was worthy for whom he should do this, for he loveth our nation, and hath... He hath built us a synagogue. Then Jesus went with them, and when he was now not far from the house, the centurion sent friends to him, saying unto him, Lord, trouble not thyself, for I am not worthy that thou shouldest enter under my roof. Wherefore, neither thought I myself worthy to come unto thee. But say in a word. Everybody say, say in a word. So we have speak the word only, and here say in a word, and my servant shall be healed. That's far enough. Verse 10, I guess, and they, 
that were sent, returning to the house, found the servant whole that had been sick. You know, there's a good sermon in there somewhere, I'm sure. I feel, I feel like we need to be on assignment tonight. Because we have collected and gathered and collected and gathered, just like Israel in the wilderness, collecting manna every day. But it was never God's will for Israel to live on the band-aid of manna. That, that, that's, that's what I thought. He let them get hungry to prove them and to humble them, to let them know that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. What did the word of the Lord say? You're going into Canaan. Okay, let, let, me, let me try it over here. They, they look unimpressed. And when they ate the manna, you know what it tasted like? Honey. It was a small sample of what was to come in Canaan. So every time they gathered that blessing, there should have been an emptiness and a longing inside of them that I'm not just to live by this and I, I just don't have to get by and I'm, not, I'm here to get my blessing and not worry about it. It's time to go into the land, to conquer, to tear down, to take dominion and pursue. So... So I believe we're on assignment tonight. You got what you needed on Tuesday. You got what you needed on Thursday, uh, Wednesday. You got what you needed on Thursday. Amen. We need to do something for our homes, our cities, and our churches. So tonight we're not going to be self-centered. We're going to be kingdom-centered. And this is, this is what I'm going to preach with the help of the Holy Ghost and hopefully with at least five of you. If I got five of you, I, I can preach the paint off the walls. That's all I need. Okay? This is my thought. Just send my miracle home. Jesus, you don't even have to show up. Just send my miracle home. Anybody feel like worshiping the king one more time? Is anybody longing to go into Canaan? Oh, hallelujah. What would happen if we'd lift our voice just this one more time? Would you do it just like you did last night? <laughs> oh, come on, Holy Ghost. <laughs> I love it when the kids do it. And the teenagers do it. In the middle-aged folk. And the senior saints need to get involved with this. Hallelujah. <laughs> okay. We're going to rock and roll. You may be seated. Here we are introduced into this story. And I, I, it's the same story. Two different accounts, uh, gospel accounts, but the same story of a Roman centurion who was the captain or the authority over a hundred men. The Bible tells us he had a slave who was dear unto him, but the Bible says that this slave or this servant was sick and ready to die. The ruler evidently was a compassionate man and a loving man. While other rulers would have taken their slave or their servants and immediately removed them out of the premises to some type of infirmary or maybe just send them back home to his family members to attend to them, this Roman ruler, out of compassion, out of kindness, 
out of love, allowed the servant to stay in his house. Matthew's rendition of this account tells us the servant had palsy and was grievously tormented. The Bible says the Roman centurion evidently never saw Jesus, never met Jesus, but he only heard of Jesus. And what he heard was enough for him to go to the elders of the Jews and to have the elders of the Jews beseech the Lord that Jesus would come to his house and heal his servant. Now this is extraordinary as far as I'm concerned because, and you know this, at this time Israel is under Roman occupancy and Roman jurisdiction. Uh, as far as uh, Israel is concerned, they never really fully came out of Babylonian captivity uh, in that when they came back into the promised land, they are now under the jurisdiction of the Romans. So not only do, did Israel as a whole, as a nation, have a bias and a prejudice toward Gentiles, but they most definitely had a bias and a prejudice and no doubt even loathed the Romans. And, and so this, this is amazing to me that the Jews would do this not only for a Gentile, but that they would do this for a Roman centurion. Listen when, to what the elders say when they get into the presence of Jesus. This is their assessment of the Roman ruler. Again, he's a Roman ruler and he's a Gentile. That's very important for us to know. They come to Jesus and the first thing they say is, he's worthy for you to do this. Okay, up on what basis? On two things. One, he loves our nation. Two, he hath built us a synagogue. Now, when you read the Gospel of Luke, when they said to Jesus, he loves our nation and he hath built us a synagogue, it's almost immediate in verse 6, the Bible says, then Jesus went with them. He didn't move until the assessment came that the man loves Israel and he built them a synagogue. Jesus, where are you going in such a hurry? I've got a promise I need to fulfill. What kind of a promise do you need to fulfill? Well, it's about a 1,900-year-old promise that I made to Father Abraham. Hallelujah. And God made a promise to Abraham all the way back in the book of Genesis, which to me is one of the most important texts in the entire Bible. In 12 and 3 of Genesis, God promised the patriarch, I will bless them that bless you. See, if you'd have got it, we could have been eating the, the island chicken already. I'm not only going to bless them that bless you, but I'm going to curse them that curse you. And in you, Abraham, shall all families of the earth be blessed. Wait a minute, did you get it? When Jesus heard that this man loved Israel, and when Jesus heard he loved the people of God so much, as a Gentile, as a Roman ruler, he built them a synagogue. He said, I am going to fulfill the Abrahamic blessing on this man. I still haven't raised the dead yet. That's what made Jesus' journey to the man. Now we've been here Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, and I'm just, and here we are on Friday, and I'm just wondering if Jesus is on his way to our house, if Jesus is on his way to our local assemblies. 
wait a minute, I know he's here. I can feel him here. I can see him here. But when I go home, I need to know he's there. And when I go back to my church, I need to know he's there. And when I get back on the job, I need to know that he's there. I wish I had some Pentecostals that haven't been preached just for a little bit. Jesus has made his way towards you. Jesus has started his journey towards you. This, this, this is so powerful. This man, no covenant, no law. He's an alien from the commonwealth of Israel. But when he blesses the people of God, God says, I can't but help bless him. And you think you're just putting, amen, just a few bucks in the offering and all this is the tithe, amen, and there's a lot more to it than that. There's a lot more to it than you just filling out an envelope and you dropping a couple bucks in the plate. Well, surely y'all believe in tithing around here, don't you? Well, maybe I need to hit this just a little bit. Will you ride with me for a little bit? Because we're going to have good Holy Ghost Church here in about 10 minutes. In the beginning, and uh, God created the heavens and the earth. And when you read Genesis chapter 1, the, the worlds were made with 10 utterances. 10 times. And God said, and God said, and God said. Eight of those are creative. But there's 10 utterances. Amen. But up until Adam, there's nobody to inherit the earth. But we're still looking for the number 10. When God makes Adam and Eve, they fail. Amen. But God does not, amen. God does not give up on his promises. Amen. God does not start over. He always starts anew. In other words, if God said, this is what I'm going to do, even man cannot thwart the plan of God. That's why the Bible says, if we don't remain true, he cannot deny himself. That's why when man sinned, he didn't obliterate man. He didn't wipe out man. He didn't start over. He started anew. Ten. We're looking for the air of creation. Ten utterances. So, so God's telling us something. From Adam to Noah, ten generations. From Noah to Abraham, ten generations. Now we got the air. And in Genesis chapter 14, that's the first place you find somebody tithing. And in Genesis 14... Abram is at war with nine specifically named kings. <laughs> Man, this is shouting ground. I'm, I might buy my own recording when I'm done preaching here today. This is so good. But there's a tenth king that comes on the scene, and he is named, and it's Melchizedek, who is the king of Salem and the king of righteousness. Wait a minute. Man, some of y'all look like you're Velcroed to your chair. And when Melchizedek, the high priest, comes to Abraham, he doesn't come to Abraham like the king of Sodom does. The king of Sodom comes empty-handed. But wants to take the credit for the victory. But when the high priest comes to Abram, he doesn't come empty-handed. He comes with bread and wine, and he blesses the patriarch Abraham. I'm telling you, there's somebody walking up and down the aisles of this tent meeting. He's been here since Tuesday. He's been here tonight. You know who it is. It's our great high priest. And, and if you
if you want to know, I'm not talking about a Roman Catholic priest. I'm talking about Jesus, the Son of God that has passed through the heavens. He's in the midst of the golden candlestick. You know what the candlestick is? That's the church. He is here. He's not empty-handed, but he's got miracles. He's got blessings. So, so Abraham, the tenth from Noah, meets the tenth king, Melchizedek, and on the heap of the spoils, he takes a tenth of that and he tithes to that priest. Are you a son of Abraham? Are you a daughter of Abraham? And if you are, you need to do the works of Abraham. Abraham tithed. Hang on, I'm going somewhere. Because I'm tired of preaching to people in English and they hear me in dingbat. Tithe didn't start with Moses' law. Tithe was rolled into the law. Tithe predated the law by 400 years. So don't listen to your dingbat family members that say you shouldn't tithe. You want your, you want your income to be blessed. You want your finances to be blessed. You bring that tithe to your pastor. You bring it to the storehouse just like God told you to do it. And you know what God said? If you want to prove God, amen, you don't need to fleece God. God said, you prove me this way. Bring the tithe and the offering to my storehouse. Hallelujah. And see if I will not open up the windows of heaven. Pour you out a blessing. I asked, I asked somebody some, one time, is this all right? Everybody, it doesn't matter if you say yes or no, I'm preaching it anyway. Everybody happy? Everybody happy? Hallelujah. Just think, I'm going home, you won't have to hear me again. And you're saying, man, I thank God McDonald's not my pastor. And I'm probably saying, I thank God you're not my saint. Amen. But we got to get through this anyhow. We got to get through this. Amen. I asked somebody one time, what's tithing? They said, well, that's 10%, amen, of, of your increase. I, I said, wrong. What was it, something I said? Tithing's not just 10%. Tithing is first fruits. Okay, see, you don't take the 10% from the bottom. You do what Abraham did. You take the 10% off of the top. Before you pay your electric bill, you tithe. Before you go to Long John Silver's, you tithe. Somebody say yes. Before you buy a dress from Danny Jewels, my wife's excited because I'm at the Danny Jewels church this weekend. You tithe. You don't do it from the middle. You don't do it from the bottom. God said you put me first. somebody you got to get this if you want the blessings of God amen it's like the man of God amen that goes to the widow what have you got left I got just a little bit of meal and I got a little bit of crew oil in the cruise and the man of God said make me the cake first hallelujah will you take care of God and you
I'm not preaching you something, amen, that I don't do. I tithe. Hallelujah. If you want the blessings of God on your life, if you're a son and a daughter of Abraham, you need to tithe. See, see when, when we tithe, when we tithe, tithing always flows up. That's why we don't tithe to the janitor. We don't tithe to the groundskeeper. We don't tithe to the false prophet that you shouldn't be watching on TV anyway. I pastored one lady, she wanted to tithe to, and if I mentioned his name, you know who he was. Some prophecy guru. I said, let me tell you something, sister. When it comes time to pray for you when you're sick, you're not calling him at three in the morning, you're calling me. And when it's time to bury you, Mr. Prophecy isn't going to be burying you, it's going to be me. And Mr. Prophecy isn't going to feed your family a gut full of a chicken dinner when you die. It's going to be this local assembly. Amen. Tithing, tithing always flows up. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I think, I, I'm sorry that I'm ruining the camp meeting, but I feel like preaching this anyway. When people don't tithe, it's not that they just have a problem with money. They have a problem with authority. Abraham, Melchizedek was greater than Abraham. Whoever he was, Melchizedek was greater than Abraham. And Abraham tithed to him. And the Bible says the less was blessed of the greater. And when you bring your tithe to your pastor, you're saying, I'm submitted to you. I'm in a covenantal agreement with you. I believe in the vision of this local assembly. And if your pastor takes your tithe, he has a responsibility to rebuke you, to reprove you, and to warn you, and to preach this apostolic doctrine. Come on, we need to get back to this where the blessings of God can flow. Amen. And the glory of God will come back into our local assembly. Sit down. give God is obligated by his word to bless Sister McDonald woke me up when I'm, I'm, I'm getting I, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm sorry we got to close like this, but this, this is just the way it is. And she woke me up early one morning, and, and she, said, she said, you ain't going to believe it. I said, what? She said, you know Sister So-and-so? Yeah, she, she just came into a great big inheritance, and she wants to, she wants to tithe. And man, I did the math in my head. We could have took care of missionaries. We could have built a brand new building. Man, I got up in my drawers. I'm dancing. I'm having a good time. She, uh, I said, man, tell her to write my name on that check. I want that name so big that, that uh, Ray Charles can see it and Stevie don't have to wonder. I got the money spent before I even got it. Un until Sister McDonald said, you're a fool. What do you mean I'm a fool? It's a scam. It's a scam. 
Yeah, some guy in England wants uh, her to give him his bank account information. And, and I thought, oh, God. And, and the Lord was saying, you know what? If she doesn't tithe on $20, she's not going to tithe on a multiple million dollars. Hallelujah. And God's never going to trust you with more until he knows he can trust you with what you got. I'm sorry, you're not going to get rich playing the lottery. You're not going to get rich playing the numbers. You just need to work like everybody else. And if you work, God will bless you. And if you tithe, God will bless you. And you'll have revival. And you'll be able to support missions. I want you to know Jesus is attracted to people that give. Jesus is attracted to people that give. Jesus is on his way. Let's go. Hey, hey, man, man, we got to get there. He, he loves Israel, and he's blessed the Jews, and, and he built a synagogue. And by the time he gets, amen, to the proximity of the centurion's house, the centurion sends out, sends out more of his servants, and he says, don't, don't bother, Lord, taking one more step because our ruler doesn't even feel you to be worthy to come into our house, but he knows something about you. <laughs> amen. This, this ruler... He helped build a synagogue that he could never go in. Have you ever thought planting trees that you'll never enjoy the shade of? That you'll never enjoy the fruit of? But you still believe the kingdom's got to grow? So you plant it anyway? But I just have to believe what he couldn't did not go into the synagogue. He got close enough to hear him singing about Messiah. When Messiah comes, Isaiah said, the blinded eyes will be open. The deaf ears will be unstopped. The dumb aren't going to talk. They're going to sing. And the lame, they're not just going to walk. They're going to, oh yeah, they're going to be hot stepping it. And they're going to be dancing and skipping like a heart. That's what happens when Messiah comes. And a Gentile who didn't know Jehovah, a Gentile who knows nothing about Moses, he heard that and said, if he can do it for somebody else, he can do it for me. So you know what he said? Don't, don't come any further. Just send my miracle home. You, you, don't, you don't have to. I, I don't need your presence. Hallelujah, as long as I got your word. Because if I got your word, it's as good as having your presence. No, you, you, you didn't get it. Amen, because I'm preaching to people today that you need a miracle in your home. Because our home is under attack. The, the sanctity of the family is under attack. And I don't know about you, but while we were praying all week and talking in tongues all week and crying and seeking God all week, I'm still thinking about my mom and dad who are lost. And I'm thinking about my four brothers who are lost. And I'm thinking about my nieces and nephews that are lost. And I pastor a church in a city of 20,000 and 20,000 people are lost. The family's under attack. Amen. And I don't believe we just have to sit by idle. Amen. And let the devil walk over our family. 
I don't have to accept divorce. I don't have to accept abuse. I don't have to accept neglect. I don't have to accept indifference. See, you're going to go home on Sunday and the devil's going to slap you bald and say, well, I can see you've been to one of those meetings, but I'll give you till Monday or Tuesday. Amen. And I'm just going to put you through the ringer. Amen. You thought you fought hell now. Amen. You're going to fight hell when you get home. Hallelujah. But I pray, God, when I get there, meet me there with a miracle. God, when I show up, meet me there with the miraculous. When I roll up in the driveway... I'm talking about husband and wife relationship. I'm talking about parental and children relationship. I'm talking about relationship that's extend outside of the house. When family members move on, someone's dead in my house. I need a miracle in my home. Jesus, send me a miracle. Got something dying in your home? The home affects everything. It affects family relationships. It affects the church. It affects the kingdom. It affects nations. What put this, what put the family structure in a tailspin? I'll tell you what it was. It was an out of order home in Eden. Wait a minute. Some of y'all complain that there's no prayer in the school. Uh, what about no prayer in the home? Wait, okay, wait, 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 wait. We shout and we boogaloo about revival. Everybody wants to talk about revival, but nobody wants to talk about what died. The only reason you need a revival is because something's dead. You need to go back home and revive the prayer room. Is this all right? You need to go back home and revive worship. No, wait a I am not a Quaker. I don't go to church and sit on a pew say I'm going to wait for something to happen. That's a chicken way of trying to have revival. The chicken says if I sit here long enough something will hatch. Revival's not hatched. Revival's born. Well, you don't understand Oregon, and it's always been like this, and we've tried, and, and we, we've persevered, and, and you're from Indiana. you got Bishop Haywood, and, and you're in the land of revival. I want you to know Jesus is the same Jesus in Oregon that he is in Indiana. And you don't have Bishop Haywood, but you have Brother Parker. you got Brother Mayo. And I'm sorry if that offends you. I don't want to have dead church. I don't want to have the same 20 people 20 years from now. I want something to reap for. I want a goal. 
Why not Quakers? When you go to church, you know why your church is dead? Because you're dead. You know why nobody moves in your church? Because you don't move. You know why there's no life in your church? Because there's no life in you. You need to take responsibility. Well, I'm the only one. Then be the only one. I'm not going to sit here and wait for God to bless me. I'm going to bless God. I'm not going to. I'm not going to sit here and wait for God to touch me. I'm going to touch God. I'm going to take the Harry. I'm going to take the initiative. I'm going to put my foot forward. It's your fault. Your church is dead. It's your fault. Nobody's winning souls. Who else are you going to blame? Well, we, 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 we don't have a bus. How many seats you got in your vehicle, Flash? We have, we have empty pews because we have empty vehicles. I'm just... I'm just waiting... I'm waiting for God to bless me with a shuttle. Use your pinto. And when God sees you can fill up that pinto, he'll give you a shuttle. I'm sorry. I'm tired of dry baptistries. I'm tired of empty altars. I'm tired of no home Bible studies being taught. I'm tired of no burden for the lost. We're not in this for us for and no more. And the fewer the pure. And we can hunker in our bunker. We're a revival church. We're a glorious church. We're an apostolic church. You know what I've been praying? Lord, send this spirit back to Shelbyville. Send this revival back to Shelbyville. God, I want this in Shelbyville. Send my miracle home. You know, you know, Brother McDonald, I just don't feel anything. I'm going to tell you what, when I get back in the Midwest about 11 o'clock at night when I land and I see Julie McDonald, I'm, I'm in love with her. When I saw her the first time, I said, the Lord is my shepherd. I see what I want. In her grandfather's church, she, she played the keyboard, and they were singing that song, that old song, I'll Have a New Body. And I thought, man, there's nothing one with, wrong with the one she's got, Lord. So don't, don't give her a new one. I like the one she got. And when I see her, I'm not shaking her hand like it's an Amway meeting. I'm, I'm going to lay one on her, whether she feels it or not. Now, you can act like you're spiritual and you came out of your mother's womb talking in tongues, but you don't have to feel anything to kiss your wife or your husband. You don't have to feel anything to give him or her a hug. And you don't have to feel anything to worship God. But if you worship God, you'll probably feel something. We need a revival of expectation. You gotta go home Sunday expecting to pray.
carry somebody through. Go home Sunday expecting to baptize somebody. See, and I'll go home and, and my wife's still trying to train me and I leave my shoes at the door and uh, my coat on, on, the, uh, on the railing and, and, and my drawers, I, I hang up on the mirror and I'm just happy to be home and I slip into something comfortable. Get that picture out of your mind because you don't, that, that's, a, that's a horrible picture. That's a horrible picture. And I'm in my pajamas and, and I'd be sitting in my lazy boy in my room and, and I'll hear that melodious voice, five foot three. And, and this is what she calls me in our tender moments. Hey, McDonald! <laughs> and then I know I'm in trouble. Hey, McDonald, get up here! And, and she'll point to my pants hanging on the mirror. She said, I got a couple questions to ask you. She said, whose are these? And then I'll say, well, babe, if they're not mine, I got a couple questions I'd like to ask you. <laughs> and she doesn't feel married. But the bottom line is we're still married. Marriage is not a feeling. Love is not a feeling. Love is commitment. It's expectation. I don't care if you knocked on doors a hundred times, knock again. I don't care if you taught a hundred million Bible studies, teach a hundred and million and one. Hallelujah, you need to fill up the baptismal tank when you get home. Brush off the search for truth. Dust off exploring God. Send my miracle home. Send my miracle home. Send my miracle home. That's all I need from you, Jesus. If see, see, if I Man, I, I'm so impressed with what I wrote here. I know. I am. I'm, I'm impressed with it. Because, because if you can ever get Jesus to open up his mouth, when he opens his mouth, universes come into existence. And that's why the Roman ruler said, see, he understood something even us crazy Pentecostals don't understand. He understood where the word of a king is, there's power. Am I doing okay? Okay, I, I, I'm doing a good job. He understood where the word of a king is, there is power. And if you can ever get him to open up his mouth, that which isn't will be. I want to tell you something about God. It's in Romans chapter 4. And if you read your Bible, we could have been eaten by now. It said, God calls those things which be not as though they already were. It's, it's not that God doesn't lie. It's that it's impossible for God to lie. But that doesn't mean God doesn't say things the way they're not. For example, God said, let there be light. 
No GE, no copper wiring. You know how copper wiring got invented? That was two, that was two Norwegian men fighting over a penny. That's how copper. Okay, that's a joke where I come from. I don't know any Oregon jokes. I know, I know Upper Michigan jokes and West Virginia. Anybody here from West Virginia? So what do you think about all this electricity? This is nice, isn't it? Arkansas jokes. Listen, when God said, let there be light, there was no GE, no electric company, no copper wiring. But when he said what wasn't, because God is truth. Wait, wait, wait. wait, wait. God doesn't tell the truth. God is truth. And when God opens his mouth, if it's not, it will be. He calls those things which be not as though they already were. Abram, before we go any further, we're going to give you a new name. We're going to change you from Abram, which means exalted father, to Abraham, which means the father of many. Isn't that great? Abraham's the father of many when he's not even the father of any. And names in those days were an extension of who you were. And when you met somebody, hey, what's your name? Well, my name's Abraham. Oh, Abraham, nice to meet you. Uh, you're, you're the father of many. How many kids you got? Uh, none. Who gave you that name? My God. You serve some strange God. Yeah, I serve a God that calls those things which be not as though they already were. Before he even has Isaac, he's the father of a multitude of the nations, of the sand of the sea, and the stars in the sky innumerable. If you can... If you can ever get God to speak to your situation, if you can ever get a word from God, if you can ever get Jesus to open up his mouth, things will change. See, the Roman ruler said, I understand authority. I have authority, but all authority needs to be under authority. And he said, I as a man, all I got to do is say one word. One man go and he goes. To another man come, he comes. If I can do that as a man over a hundred, I just want to know what can you do as Lord of all. See, Jesus, Jesus isn't a different God from the Old Testament God. Jesus is the Old Testament God. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. And if Jesus ain't God, ain't nobody God. That's horrible grammar, but that's good theology. If Jesus ain't God, he deserves to be arrested, amen, for stealing somebody else's identity. Because Jesus has God's name. Jesus has God's body. Jesus has God's power. Jesus has God's spirit. Jesus has God's authority. Jesus has God's everything. I was talking to somebody one time and they didn't believe Jesus was God and I quoted John 10 and 30 I and my father are one and he said which one? I said the same one ignorant which one do you think he is? He said well Jesus and the father are one like husband and wife are one I thought do I kill him now? I said okay Jesus and the father are one like husband and wife are one okay let's ride that I'll, 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 I'll go with you that when a man and a woman get together they become one flesh but I cannot say he that hath seen me hath seen Julie McDonald 
But Jesus said, he that hath seen me hath seen the Father. Jesus said, he, he that hath seen me hath seen him that sent me. Listen, I want you to know I'm not just non-Trinitarian, I'm anti-Trinitarian. Jesus didn't get more votes than the Holy Ghost and less than the Father. Jesus is the Almighty God. Well, I feel like saying it again. Jesus is the Father. Jesus is the Son. Jesus is the Holy Ghost. One Lord. One faith. One baptism. I wonder if there's anybody at camp meeting that believes that. So in Genesis 1, that's Jesus. It's just he's invisible. And when Moses writes Genesis 1, he tells us what God is saying. And God said, and God said. When you get to John chapter 1, same God, just the invisible God becomes visible. In Genesis 1, Moses tells us what he was saying. In John 1, John tells us what he was thinking. And he says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. That's who Jesus is. He's the word of God. And just like you can't take my word and make a separate person from me, you can't take God's word and make a separate person from him. Jesus is the invisible God made visible. Hallelujah. He is the express image of the Father's person. That's not like Jesus. That is Jesus. Letters make words and words make sentences and Jesus says something so great in Revelation chapter 1 he said I am Alpha and Omega see the Roman ruler said I don't need I don't need a paragraph I don't need a sentence I don't even need you to come under my roof or roof if that's how you say it I just need you to say one word. Oh, oh it, it, it's good. That's all you need is one word because I'm the word made flesh. See, okay. And when Jesus said, I am Alpha and Omega, he was claiming to be the first letter in the Greek alphabet, Alpha, which is equivalent to our English letter A, and Omega, which is the last letter of the Greek alphabet, which is equivalent to the English letter O. So there, I know a little Greek. And he stands about this high and he owns a pizza shop in the city where I was raised. His name's Nick the Greek. And he talks like this. So I know a little Greek. When Jesus said, I am Alpha and Omega, he was saying to the Greeks, I am the first letter in your alphabet through to the last letter of your alphabet. Now that doesn't compute to us because our alphabet doesn't go A through O. Amen. But it's the same thing if we were to say that Jesus is the A and the Z. Not just A and Z, he's A through Z. And he's the word of God. Wait a minute. And, and so as my, as my good friend would say, he's the God of heaven on the throne, but to earth he came to trod. Everything he said and did, Jesus is the alphabet of God. When Jesus said, I'm A through O, or Alpha through Omega, he was saying, I'm A. 
Genesis 17, 1, Revelation 1, 8, I'm the Almighty God. B, Luke 1, 68, I'm the Blessed God. C, 1 Peter 5, 7, I'm the Caring God. D, Daniel 3, 15, I'm the Delivering God. E, Deuteronomy 33, 27, I'm the Eternal God. F, 1 Corinthians 10, 13, I'm the Faithful God. G, Titus 2, 13, I'm the Great God. H, Leviticus 19, 2, 1 Peter 1, 16, I'm the Holy God. I, Job 32, 8, I'm the Inspiring God. J, Exodus 20 and 4, I'm the Jealous God. K, Psalm 17 and 4, I'm the Keeping God. L, 1 John 4, He's a loving God. M. Isaiah 9, 6. Isaiah said he's the mighty God. And James 4 and 7, he's a nigh God. Oh, Matthew 28 and 17 and 18 and 19, he's an omnipotent God. P. Philippians 1 and 6, he's a performing God. Q. 1 Timothy 6, 13, he's the quickening God. R. Nehemiah 9, 17, he's a ready God. S. Isaiah 35, 3, 4 and 5, he's a saving God. T. Jeremiah 10, 10, there must be false gods because Jesus is the true God. U. Exodus 3, 14, he's the unlimited God. V first John 5 17, he's the very God. W John chapter 5, he's the working God. X Second Chronicles 16:9. The eyes of the Lord run to and fro on all the earth. You can't hide from Jesus because he's the X-ray vision God. Y Matthew 27 and 50. Amen. He's a yielding God. And Z John 2 17. He's a zealous God. He's the Alpha. Omega. And all I need is one word. Send my miracle home, Lord. Send my Moshadad Abahaya. Come on, why don't you pray right now? Send my miracle home. Send my miracle home. Come on, pray for your backslid children. Pray for your sinner family. Send my miracle. Just one word. Just one word. You're going to go home and it's going to be different. You're going to go to your church and it's going to be different. Come on, someone's got to get this. Catch faith. Send my miracle home. I want revival. I want souls. I want the miraculous. I want healing. This altar's open. I pray God... Send angels if you have to. Send angels into my city.